guys. Welcome back to our teaching in the book of John. Now, the last time we were here, we were finishing the first section in John chapter one, that is verses one through five. And basically what it was dealing with was the divine nature of Jesus. Now, when you hear me say the divine nature of Jesus, it is simply saying that Jesus is God. And that was John's primary point. No doubt. Clearly, everybody understood him and saw him as a man, man, Messiah, whatever. But John wanted to emphasize the nature of Jesus is more than just simply a man, but Jesus' existence in the very beginning with God the Father showed how he was God himself. And not only simply just simply God, but we must always understand it, God in every way, not a secondary God not a God with less authority, not a God with less power, but in every way, as we'll see again in this very beautiful gospel, equal with God the Father. So that's the whole tenor and theme and message of John that we see uh, set for us in verses one through five in dealing with the person of Jesus, all right? And also we saw the purpose of Jesus, that Jesus, that's when we see him being called at the end of those verses in one through five, life and life and light. Moving to the issue, life, that is, he gives spiritual, first of all, he gives life to everything. In particular, he gives spiritual life to those who will believe in him, okay? Then with respect to the light issue, it talks about purpose, and that is the purpose to give light to every man. The purpose of redemption, the purpose of salvation, by faith in him alone. And when we say faith in him and him alone, that means in who he is, he is God, he is also man, because remember, he is to be made man, and we'll talk about that when we get to verse 14. He'll be made man in the flesh for the purpose of revealing the father and ultimately die for our sins so that he can accomplish salvation for us. So the purpose, light, when we speak of light, it speaks of the purpose of Jesus coming to this world in order to provide salvation to those who believe in him. Okay. And then it just talks about the issue that although he came into this world, light, and even many did not understand him. Their eyes were still closed. Their ears, the eyes were closed. Their ears were closed. Their heart was darkened and hardened. But nevertheless, Jesus accomplished his purpose in the end. And we see that great purpose of Jesus accomplished in his resurrection from the dead. He did all that the father would have him to do. Okay, now enough of that. Now let's move into the next section where we begin with the witness of John, and then we talk about certain issues of salvation. So in this video, I was, I was hoping, foolishly, like I do sometimes, that we would be able to go a little bit further, but we're gonna curtail our teaching today to verses six through 13. And the reason will become, the reason is, is because when we get to the final part around verses 11 to 13, it can be very difficult and trying. Okay, so you need to have a very prayerful spirit as we work, you and I, 
work through these passages together because probably a great number of you may find some of the things that you see here to be disturbing. And I don't want to turn you off from it, but I do want to I understand how sometimes many things you have been taught and you have believed along the way. And we didn't have the biblical background to process certain principles. And so we kind of came up thinking of certain things or we heard them from other people and we just believed it because we kept hearing it. But is that what the word says? Okay, enough of that. So stick with me. As we move in this particular section, and this video becomes only about this particular section, and the Lord will bless us all. All right? All right. So let's get started. Verse number six. There came a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to testify about the light so that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but he came to testify about the light. So now here we talk about the person of John the Baptist. Notice once again how John chooses, that is the writer of John's gospel, how he chooses, who is John, how he chooses to introduce John the Baptist. What I mean by that is, say for a second, when you look at Matthew or, or Mark or Luke's account, when they talk about John, is more detailed and they give more information, especially with his interaction with Jesus. All right. But John doesn't do that here. It's with great brevity, very brief that John only speaks to John the Baptist as he speaks to the person and purpose of Jesus. So he says, what a man sent from God. We understand he's basically talking about what is that? Isaiah chapter 40. Uh, Malachi chapter three, I believe, which which prophetically speaks of the forerunner of the Messiah, who we know to be John the Baptist. And John's purpose was to point out the Messiah and tell everyone that once he points the Messiah out, follow him, believe in him. So this is where we are. One sent from God. His name was John in scripture, John the Baptist. He came as a what? Witness to testify about the light. Now, another point here, the word witness here is also one of those sub themes that we see in the gospel of John. Now, if you haven't uh, been, been following me in the study of John, kind of go back, start all over, whatever. Start from the introduction of John because the, the primary theme of John is Jesus is God. He is God, the Messiah made flesh. Okay. That's his primary theme. But all throughout John, there will be a number of sub themes again, in reflection to the previous verses like darkness and light. And here again, witness to uh, bear forth or testify of some truth or something. That's the idea of a witness to the which Jesus himself would be styled in the book of John as a witness. He is one who will witness 
concerning and of the father. So he is the greatest witness that the father has ever sent into this world. Greater than all of the prophets, greater than Moses himself. The truest and greatest witness of all is Jesus, the Messiah. Okay, but nevertheless, the whole issue is here. John is a witness to the Messiah. Here it calls witness to the light. And notice again that issue concerning the light. Light speaks of what again? Now we know it speaks of Jesus. Okay, Jesus is that light earlier. He is that light. He is the life and the light that we talked about earlier in verses one through five. Here, speaking of light, we want to remember that light speaks to what? The purpose to which Jesus, not only his person, but the purpose, what he came to do, ultimately bear witness of the father and accomplish salvation for those who would believe in him. Okay. But John is a witness to the light that is to Jesus with a purpose. John's purpose is to point the, to point all men to Christ in faith so that they may believe in him and be saved. What? So that all might believe through him. So it just simply talks about the introduction of John, John's purpose in coming into this world that he came as a witness to point to Jesus. Once again, it says concerning John, because remember in the synoptic gospels, that is Matthew, Mark, and Luke, these are synoptic gospels, okay? You'll see the Pharisees coming to John's baptism, and I'm not going to rehearse that, but I did do a full video teaching of the entire book of Matthew. So you can go back and check out the teaching in Matthew and see uh, some of those things that we're talking about and how that the Pharisees, Sadducees, religious leaders, came to John's baptism inquiring whether or not he himself, John the Baptist, was the Messiah. So John just simply states it here. He was not the light. See, that's the reflection of all of that. Are you the Messiah? No, I am not. I'm not worthy to stoop down and, un and untie the uh, lease of his sandals. And so this is all of that. He was not the light, once again, coming into his purpose, but he came to bear witness of the light, to tell people who the Messiah is and to have faith in the Messiah. And then verse number nine, there was the true light, which coming into the world enlightens every man. Once again, pointing back to Jesus and his function. He is the true light. Okay. There is no other who can satisfy the purposes of God. There is no other who can bring about the desire of God the Father. That is ultimately the salvation of mankind. Only Jesus can provide salvation. And once again, you can kind of feel all of this as you already know some of John. What did Jesus say? I am what? The way I am what? The truth I am what? the life. And those statements themselves speak of what? There is none other. These are statements of exclusivity. Nothing else can do or be whom Jesus was and what God had purposed him to be. Okay, enough of that. But true light, okay, again, his purpose, 
coming into the world to enlighten every man by the idea of enlightenment. And we'll see that later on in verse number 18 of this chapter when when it says no man, no one has seen God at any time, but the only begotten God who is in the bosom of the father, he has made him known. OK, that's a part of the enlightenment to make the father known. Even again, remember in this very same gospel, what did Philip say? Show us the father and this will satisfy us. And what was Jesus' response? Philip, have you been with me so long and do not understand? When you see me, you see the father. And we know he was not saying he was the father, but notice how all of this is a derivative from John chapter one. He enlightens, okay? He enlightens about the person of the father, the will of the father, and ultimately, what does he do? He does the will of the father, offering his life upon the cross, and bring those who believe to salvation, all right? Verse 10, he was in the world, and the world was made through him, and the world did not know him. Now, Again, we have another one of those words that becomes a sub theme. We've already talked about quite a few light and darkness witness. Now we are introduced to another one of those sub themes in John, the world cosmos, as it is in Greek. And John likes to deal with this usually in the sense of a world that does not know God a world that is in darkness and sinfulness, one that needs redemption. So when it speaks of the world, when John speaks of the world, he speaks of an entity, although we'll see it in here, created by God, an entity that has that is now foreign from God. And we already know the world is foreign from God because of sin. The original sin of Adam, the continuing sin of mankind. Okay, so now it brings in that concept of concerning the Messiah in the world, because what's going to happen It's going to be an antagonistic relationship. It, Jesus will come into the world to speak the truths of God, the father, to do the will of God, the father, performing signs to prove that his witness is true. How will the world respond to these things? They will reject him. Why? Because it is the world. Okay, so the world usually in John is seen in a very negative sense. That's the normal case for the world. But nevertheless, he was in the world and the world refers also to a created order of things, things that are created and with order, it has order. It's not some chaotic thing, okay? And the world was made through him. This takes us all the way back to what? The very first section. All things were made through him. And apart from him, there is nothing that exists, okay? Th th that was not made through him. <laughs> but the point is, it takes us all the way back to the very first section where we were talking about the divine person of Jesus. He is the God of creation. And it also supplied information to how God created all things. God, the father created all things through God, the son. Okay. But nevertheless, 
Again, we just simply have that idea. Being in the world, Jesus is, and at the same time, the world, what? The world was made through him, and the world did not know him. Speaking once again, what? Ultimately, the rejection of the the rejection of the creator, that is Jesus, because that's the style that is giving Jesus. He is the creator, the rejection of the creator by the created thing, namely the world. Okay. Now, as we look at that, the world, there is a sense of generality. In a, in, it's like a broader sense of things. He came, he made what? The world. He made the world and the world and, and the world didn't know him. The, the negative response that it would give unto Jesus. But as we move through the text, we become more specific and more particular. So let's go. He came to his own. See it now? From worldwide to his own narrow, which brings us to the idea of the Jewish people, the nation of Israel at that time. But let's finish the verse. He came to his own and those who were his own did not receive him. So again, as I was just saying, you go from the broad to the narrow, from the world, because the world is his and the world was created by his, by him. But the world still, what, did not know him. The idea is knowing him, receiving him. Now, narrow it down. He came to his own things. And what? Even though they were his own things, they did not receive him. Again, this speaks of, now notice the generality to the which when John addresses a number of things to how we look at the, um, the synoptic gospels. And John is clearly is talking about the Jewish people, but notice how he says it and how succinctly he says it his own things. And there is an inference here. There is an inference here that they should have received him. They should have welcomed him. They should have worshiped him as their God. Why? The prophets spoke of it. Moses prepared them for these things. The prophets prepared them for these things. Even the Psalms prepared them for these things. In other words, they had the Holy Scriptures. That's why Jesus would later on say in this very book again, search the scripture for in them you will find about me. Okay. So the, so, but the natural expectation to receive him, they didn't. So he came unto what his own and those who were his own did not receive him as, as if it was a failure, but not necessarily because I'm not going to go into that because of the pushing into the book of Romans, but they didn't receive him. All right. But now here, here we are. Now, this is the testing. This is the trying part. And this is what can be very difficult, guys. OK, but let's work through the scriptures and let's see what it says, because now we're going to move in the air. See, all along. See, we already know. We already know as Jesus is the light. And what does light mean? It means purpose. It speaks of his purpose. What is his purpose? Make the father known to men 
and ultimately what? Provide salvation unto mankind. So ultimately, Jesus came to save. You got that? He came to save. That was God's purpose in sending him. God's purpose is Jesus' purpose. Father and son are one. So the issue now is going to settle on the purpose of the Messiah, on Jesus, to bring salvation. That is our issue. Okay? All right. So now let's work through the scriptures just because that's the whole idea. Notice he came to his own. His own did not receive him. Receive him unto what? Not just simply Messiah, because in receiving Jesus, you have salvation. So the issue is salvation. So now let's work through it. Let's work through it. But as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God, even to those who believe in his name. So, so notice the issue is squarely in the arena of salvation. As many as received him, that's the light. You receive him according to his testimony. Again, remember how John talked about John the Baptist came as a witness. Jesus himself will be the ultimate witness. Believe me, the things that I tell you are from heaven. But anyway, those who take the testimony of Jesus concerning himself, his purpose, and the father, because you cannot have the father without the son. You cannot. So to receive his testimony, that's what it means to receive him, believing that he is the Messiah, believing that he is the son of God, believing that his death on that cross was for the sin of others. That's for sin of us. Believing his resurrection was for our justification. Believing the acts, the purpose, the name of Jesus. Do you believe these things? That is what it means to receive him. To them, to the believers, he gave the right to become the children of God. So now watch. He gave. He gave. So once again, we are now introducing the sense, the idea of grace, even though we may believe in all of these wonderful things. But our faith in Christ Jesus is according to the plan of God. Now, I'm not going to go on too much of a tangent here, but let me stay here because I'd be an hour just talking about that. That's a wonderful subject and I don't want to get into that. But the point is. Notice in the construction, he gave them the right. He gave them what right? To be what they were not, sons of God. Again, it speaks of salvation. But notice once again, as we start dealing with this issue in these wonderful verses here concerning salvation, Salvation number one is based upon believing in the person who Jesus is. He is God. He is man and the work. He came into this world, lived a sin, sinless a life without sin, died on the cross for our sins and was resurrected from the dead. Believe in the person and the work of Jesus, notice, Jesus gives you the right to be God's children. Again, it kind of alludes to the idea that he is 
God, because only God can do such an act, give you the right to be the children of God. No human being, no angel can give you the right to be God's children, only God himself. Salvation is a work of God. Okay, but okay, nevertheless, let, let me let me work through it. So Jesus having faith in him, what he declares, his life, his person, his work, he now gives salvation life. Okay? Life to whom? Those who believe in his name. Notice there is the total absence of work. What do I mean when you say the absence of work? See, this, you must, saints, if there's anything that you want to get in the whole Bible, and I mean from Genesis to Revelation, you are never saved because of what you do. You are not saved because you don't lie, you don't steal, you don't kill or commit adultery or fornicate. That has nothing to do with your salvation because, number one, let's start at the very simple matter. As Paul said in the book of Galatians, if by what you do, if by works, if by obedience to some law, if by what you do, you can save yourself, then what need of Christ having come and died? live right for yourself. But since we know this is altogether impossible, we need a savior. So the whole scripture speaks of salvation by faith. And notice even here, that principle is dwelled, is dwelled on here, believing in whom and in what? In the person of Jesus what? The works of Jesus. And what does it give you? The right to become children of God. Now, I don't supposed to go into here, but I'll go anyway, because a lot of people are just like, well, what about the living right? So you mean all I got to do is believe in Jesus and, and, and I don't have to, I can keep lying. I can keep stealing. And that's what Paul deals with in the book of Romans. He said, God forbid that we continue in these things so that grace may be um, increased, abound. No, first of all, it is not by changing your ways. It is in the changing of the mind, believing in whom God has sent. That's also in the book of John, believing in the person of Jesus. This saves you. Now, in responding to God's saving grace, notice what I say carefully. How should you respond to what Jesus has done for you? How should you respond to what God has done for you in sending his only begotten son to die on the cross, to be beaten by the Romans, to go through all of that? How should you respond by obedience? That's why we change our ways. We don't change our ways to get saved. We change our ways because we have been saved. We have already been saved and we want to live lives that are pleasing to Christ. Second thing concerning that, when a person lives a life of disobedience, in the end, it only shows this person was never truly saved in the first place. But we need to get that principle straightened out. Only by belief in Jesus alone, 
his person and his works. Can an individual be saved? It has nothing to do with you. Now, you may be thinking to yourself, boy, he went on a tangent with that particular thing. No, I didn't. I was actually preparing you for our final verse in this video because that's the very thing that I have been saying to you just then. John is about to say that now in what seems, it seems in a cryptic manner. But what we're going to do by the grace of our God, we're going to break it down and look at it so that the point that I've been hammering salvation by faith alone and then something else in addition something else in addition okay okay so let's get to 13 he has been talking about what being a child of god a son of god all right in other words saved how are you saved by faith in jesus christ as many as received him so faith in jesus brings about salvation you got it 13 those who are saved. So notice who were born. Who, who? Okay. Who is the who that you're talking about? Those who received him. So let's now talk about those who received him. Who are those who received him? These are people who are saved. What about people who are saved? First of all, he said in verse 12, you were saved because simply you received him. Now in verse number 13, saved, who were born, the idea of saved and born is the same thing. They're synonymous. Just like when we go later on in this beautiful book again, when Jesus speaks to Nicodemus, you must be born again. To be born, simply speaking of salvation. Those saved who were born, in other words, what was it that brought about their salvation? No, no, no. We know, as verse 12 has said, what? Their salvation is brought about by faith in Jesus alone. But now he's going to give us some additional information concerning their salvation. Oh, you got it? Who were born, but watch. And he gives the negative, not of blood. So what I'm going to do with this final verse, we're going to take each part down. Bit by bit. I'm not going to even read the whole sentence. Let's go bit by bit as we work through it. Not of blood. Now, in the Greek, it is not of bloods. Okay, in the plural. All right. So the word is in the plural. But the idea is about the same. You are saved. That's the idea. Notice born, born again. You, the reason why you are saved, the reason why you have faith in Jesus, you have received him, not because of bloods. What he means by bloods is anything that is hereditary, that is genetic or of the family. Let me, let me give you the example so that you can see it clears the bell. Say, for instance, your mama was saved or your daddy was saved. You are not saved because you are a child of your mother or your father. Any of your relatives, it doesn't matter. That's what I mean, bloods. Any of your relatives, this has nothing to do with you being saved because of some hereditary factor, because somebody else in your family is saved. That is not what made you saved. Let's go to the next section. Nor of the will of the flesh. 
Notice all of these negatives. The first negative, not of bloods, not because of some genetic or family factor. That ain't got nothing to do with you being saved. Now he says, nor of the will of the flesh. The will of the flesh now brings it down from, notice the first part deal with your family, people in your family, or even the nation of people that you belong to. Say, for instance, I'm a Jew, so therefore I'm saved simply because I'm a Jew because I got Jewish blood. No, indeed. That's blood. It has nothing to do with relationship, relatives, and in the broad sense, bloods. Now he brings it down to a narrow sense, and I'm going to calm it down. Nor the will of the flesh. The will of the flesh, that's why I say the narrow sense, speaks of the individual. Here is where I want to spend some time. I almost wanted to hoop a little bit. But here is the most challenging part to the thinking of many people uh, uh, in Christianity. I one time myself thought that way, but, and, but it's through the word of God, through scripture, through study, and all of the whole doggone Bible, it teaches this principle. So let me talk about it. The will of the flesh means the individual will. So notice it is not of the family that you're born with, born in, the race that you're born in, nor the will of the flesh. It is not the individual. In other words, okay, y'all hold on, hold on. The will of the flesh. It simply means as an individual, you simply made up your mind that you will follow Jesus. Now, let me just give this caveat. Yes, yes, I can understand and I also agree how these things are generically involved. Notice what I said. Yes, there, there is an involvement. You got it? You know, choosing to come, come for you in, in, a, in a sense, in a sense. Okay, okay. Bringing it back, slowing it down. And the reasons why I'm struggling with this is I'm anticipating so much resistance even from you. Let me just get you the pure teaching of the scripture. Nor the will of the flesh. It simply means not of the individual's will. What is the subject that we're talking about? Salvation. Salvation that comes about by having faith in Jesus, his person and his work. That's salvation. That's what we're talking about. Notice it didn't come about. Your salvation did not come about because you had other family members who were saved because of the race that you belong to. No. Then second part where I am now trembling, where I am now, nor the will of the flesh. This now deals with you yourself. And that is the great error that we make. You know, uh, I, 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 there was a song that used to be played a long time ago when I was a kid. I can remember by the mighty clouds of joy when the guy would say on a, on a Sunday, on a Sunday, I got rid of my heavy load. And then you, I'll hear other people say and other songs and all types of Christian material say, I made up my mind. I got tired uh, of the way I was living in this. And I decided to follow after Jesus. In other words, what they are saying is, the decision came from them. The decision as a source came from them. They decided they wanted to have a relationship with God. They decided to believe in Jesus. 
And because of what they did, notice what I just said, because of what they did, because of their, what did John say here? Their will, they attained salvation. And we know it was Jesus that did the work, but they played the role they had to do. And this is what you hear me say over and over and over again. They had to have something to do with salvation. But this is what the Bible teaches all the way through. There is nothing you can do to save yourself. Salvation is the work and the plan. And boy, you wait. It's at the end of the verse. Of God alone. Even though I understand certain things began to happen in our mind. But to, to, for me to just simply put it in a nutshell and sweep away all of these leaves on the ground. When we, okay, let me say it this way. Let me use this scripture. The scriptures teach we are dead in sins and trespasses. The operative thought is dead, okay? How can a dead person respond to God? If you are dead, you cannot respond at all. It is God who has to waken you up, wake you up. It is God who has to open your eyes. It is God who has to soften your heart. It is God who has to open your ears in order that you might see and hear and respond. So therefore, the mind that you have, the mind you have to hear the gospel, the mind that you have to respond to the gospel, the will that you have to say, you know what? I decide to follow Jesus. This was not done by you at all, at all. And this is the very nature of what this verse is all about. Notice it is not because of your family not who were born, not of bloods, nor the will of the flesh. This was not your idea to believe in Jesus. This was not something you came up with to believe in Jesus that you might be saved. And now let's go to the third part. Nor the will of a man. Again, now he broadens it. In other words, it's not the will of the individual to believe in Jesus and therefore be saved. It is not will of any man. In other words, say for say this. You pray. Let me give you another example to help you understand it. Let's say, for instance, you're saved or whatever you're saved. All right. And you have children and you desire your children to be saved. You fit this category. What did it mean? You are a man. You got it. And then here are your children. Let's say, for instance, your children get saved. Now, I understand that the scripture desires for us to pray for people. I understand that. And the scriptures speak of that. But their salvation did not come because of you. That's what it means. Again, nor the will of a man. So we have three categories. Number one, let's go all the way back to what we're talking about. Salvation. How does a person become a son of God? How's a person saved? By faith in Jesus alone. But as many as received him, received his person, received his works. That's it. That's what saved you. Faith in Jesus, right? 
Then he's told, talking about what? The whole issue of salvation itself. How were they born again? Who were born? Where did this salvation come from? Your salvation did not come from bloods. That is who you were related to because your mama was saved, because your family was saved, because you come from a race of a certain kind of people. It has nothing to do with such relationships. Your salvation did not even come from what? The will of the flesh. That means the individual will, your will. You ain't talking about the will of a whole bunch of folk, a singular will. It did not come from you. And that's the main point that I have. I'm driving home because that is the greatest error that we continue to make. We think that it came because I got tired of living in my sin. I decided to do another thing. No, you didn't. I understand the appearance of it to you seemed that way. But as I was hooping about just a second ago, if you are dead, 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 dead. And a dead person can't respond to nothing. If God doesn't open the eyes, open the ears, touch the heart. That's what the Bible said. He makes us alive. What? He, God, or as the King James Version would say, he quickens us. So that is so, okay, you get to what I'm trying to say. You are not a part of this. The root of it all, the source of it all didn't come because you made up your mind one day. It was because God touched you that day. God worked on your heart. God worked on your mind. God opened your eyes. And when you heard the gospel, you responded because, okay, okay you don't believe that, but wait till we get to the very end. So the point is what? Not, not of bloods, relationships, not of the will of the flesh, not because of you, nor of the will of a man. That means because some man was praying for you, some people were praying for you, and therefore you got to say, no, indeed. Where did salvation come from? Or in a, in, as the scripture is talking about here, it's noted, those who were born. Where did your salvation come from? Why do we believe in Jesus? Notice, but of God. That is the climax of this verse. Where did salvation come from? It starts and it doggone ends with God. You are not saved. Rehearsing for the last time. You guys probably tired of me. Because of what family you're born in. I got a lot of saved folk in my family. You were not saved because you got tired of living in your sins. You were not saved because somebody was simply praying for you. It is God who is the very author of our salvation. He brings and gives the very plan of salvation. He enacts the plan of salvation. He sends his son, who is the second person in the Godhead, to redeem us from our sins, to accomplish our salvation. For by grace you have been saved. This grace is a gift from God and has nothing to do with you. It is not the will of the flesh. It is the gift of God so that no man might boast. Ephesians 2 and 8. So therefore, what is the point that we're hooping at here? 
salvation is of the Lord from the beginning to the end. Now, there are probably certain things that are moving in your mind. And we'll talk about that as we move to John, because John here, John right here, verses 12 and 13 is laying the foundation of election election. Okay. What is election? Election simply means the called of God. Now break it down. Don't just let things go in one end, come out the other. The called ones of God. In other words, the reason why, okay. Okay. Let me slow it down just a little bit more. Elect ones. Say for instance, I am saved. That means I am elect. I am a part of the elect ones of God. What does election mean? Election itself means the called of God. Now we're talking about my salvation and how am I and why am I saved? Why am I the elect ones of God? One of the elect ones of God, I have been called of God. Now you see how it works? Look at verse number 13. Why am I the elect one of God? Why am I saved of God? I have been called of God. That's the very definition of election. Why am I this? Not because of bloods, not because of relationships, not because of my will, not because of anybody else's will, but it is God who called me. If you are saved today, it is because it has been the will of God to save you. So therefore, never forget, salvation is of God alone. The day that you raise up your hammer to touch that altar of burnt offering, you have defiled it. Now, that was an Old Testament thing, and I'm not going to even give you any more information on that. But if some of you guys are sharp enough, you will understand it. In the building of the tabernacle, God told Moses concerning the building of the, uh, the altar of burnt offering, don't make it pretty. Don't do anything. Use those common stones. They represent God and God alone. Why? This is where salvation will be accomplished. And only God can do these things. But anyway, enough. So let me bring this thing to an end. So John here lays the foundation for salvation right here or in other words, the, the, uh, the principle of election. What we are going to find out is as we move through the book of John, this is another uh, major topic or a sub theme that we'll find in John. You got it? Election, election, those who are called of God. Okay. But as we move through the gospel of John, we're going to talk about this, Jesus himself. This idea is going to be talked about over and over and over. All right. No doubt in some of your minds, you're kind of coming up with certain ideas. I know, I know. And it can be tough. So what you're trying to say, what you're trying to say that it's God that do all of this and, and, and it's not people and, and all of it. I just, in, in a nutshell, that is what I'm saying. It is the work, the complete work of God alone. But what about folks who are not saved? What? Yeah, that's what you're talking about. But this is not a time for that discussion. And I can understand how it's truly in your mind. Try not to bombard me with a lot of questions because I don't want to get into it right now. That's another topical discussion. But 
you cannot help but get into that particular arena of thought. And here's where it's going to hurt. The answer is yes. Those who are saved are those who are called by God. What? They're not born because of people. They are born because of God alone. God saves whom he wills. God saves whom he chooses. It's not about human man. It's not about human will. Again, verse 13, it is all about what God decides to do. And this is the very definition of elect or election. Elect the ones whom God calls. All right. <laughs> wow. I know I said a mouthful in that particular video. There may have been some things a little bit difficult to understand because you really have to take these verses in John. Remember I told you about the, the gospel of John, how it's such simple Greek, but boy, the things that John talks about makes you, it works you to death and you go deeper and deeper and deeper and you start going, mm, mm, mm. and John just simply says it and keep going. But there's such a great depth into the gospel of John. But I know there are some things that were difficult and I already know there are some things that even in the beginning that I have said, even taking you through the text of John piece by piece, breaking down every little thing and keeping the whole entirety of the scripture in context. We have never, and this is one thing I never like to do, leave the context of the scripture. I know it can be very difficult, especially when you begin to say that the only ones who are saved is whom God has chosen to be saved. They were born not of the will of the flesh, not because of them, not because of the family, not because of anybody else, simply chosen by God. I know that can be really tough, but nevertheless, it is the truth of the scripture. So I say this. One thing I say is if you are saved, we don't know who will be saved in the end. God not simply knows. Now, here's, that's another point. God not simply knows he has already chosen. OK, but as far as we are concerned, we don't know. We don't know who is saved. We don't know who will be saved in the end. But if you are saved, it is because you have been chosen by God to do what? Verse number 12, to have faith in Jesus in order that what? You might become the son of God. God has set his love and affection on you. Therefore, rejoice. Why? The whole of scripture says, because it wasn't nothing you did in the first place. Why? We have sinned. And tell me about our sin. The wages of our sin is death. So if God has chosen you to have faith in Jesus, rejoice and praise his name because you know what? God does what he wants, when he wants, and there is no other thing in creation or outside of creation. Nothing can tell God what to do. Or as Paul says, who are you, O man, to question God? God does exactly what he wants to do. But if you're saved, Praise God. And as far as the rest is concerned, God deals and handles these things according to his own will. All right. 
there is so much more and I'm quite sure you see there's a lot that we can say on this particular issue, but because we are simply studying John and we fixed ourselves in John chapter one, let's just stop right there. All right, guys, I'm so glad that you joined me here. I know you probably got a hundred questions and I know you probably got a lot of resistance, especially if you did not believe that. But as you see, it is the text itself. Go over it. Look at the text again. And you look at the very context. You can say, yeah, it, it keeps saying that. It got nothing to do with no kind of person. It is all about God. And what is it talking about? Salvation. It is God who chooses those salvation. Why are they born again? Because of God. And I know it's, it's hard. I myself struggled with that even for a long period of time until I had to see in the scripture over and over and over again, salvation is the work of God. Notice when Adam sinned, what did Adam do? He made fig leaves to cover himself. The whole idea is covering his sin. What did God do? God made animal skins and animal had to die and animal blood had to be shed. That is the idea of blood is a covering for sin. Ultimately speaking of what? Jesus, his blood would be a covering of sin. But the point is God himself made a covering for Adam. In other words, leaving Adam nothing to do with the process. God did all the work. Salvation is the work of God. And you just go on and on and on and on and on throughout the entirety of the Bible that any time we try to intercede or get into this salvation process, it becomes an issue of pride. And God wants us to know one thing. He is the Lord alone. He is God alone. He provides salvation alone. And his doggone will will be done alone. Not the will of the flesh and blood. His will alone. But anyway, so thanks for joining me, guys. I know it was tough. But stay with me as we continue to move through the Gospel of John and we'll see this issue being dealt with by Jesus himself a number of times. Okay, God bless you. See you next time.